I want to know about Chinch's four-page spread in the Everton. Oh, did you read it? It was it was heartwarming. I didn't read it, no, because it was like sent to us on photos. Do you so know what? I, I was quite to zoom in. What? <laughs> Obviously, I was already excited about the big FA Cup third round tie between Everton and Lincoln. And, on and match Everton, of the day, Stephen Wyatt, on match of the day. And Everton tweeted the day before what was going to be in the match day programme, and it included the phrase Andy Hinchcliffe exclusive. Excl- oh, wow. Oh, blimey. They must have worked hard to get that. They must have paid big bucks for that. I remember the Everton programme once phoning me and asking me to pass on your phone number. Really? And I f- asked you about it, and you said, nah. So they eventually managed to track you down. Yeah, but when people ring you, it's easy to say no. When people collar you in a press room and say, "Is that what which happened? is at Man City Everton, Paul, who's a lovely guy, and I've got to do a podcast Have at you? Southampton Everton. Are you? I've got to, they were so enthralled by what I said to them over the phone and what they produced in the programme. They want to do a podcast and verbally hear it all again. Oh. So an Andy Hinchcliffe exclusive part pa- two. I don't know whether... Yes. The most possibly. astonishing thing, so obviously the first thing I did when I arrived at Goodison a good three and a half hours before oh, kickoff yes. was to get my hands on a copy of the programme mm. and to go searching for the Chinch exclusive, which I found quite quickly and I yeah. thought, oh, that's, yeah. that's a nice touch. Read, read the page, a couple of, couple of photos. Thought, oh, I wonder what's on the next page. Oh, there's, there's more. There's more of it. Page two. Oh, blimey, two pages out of a chat with Chinch. Goodness me, that seems excessive. <laughs> blimey, it must just be an advert for the club shop on the next page. No, no. there was pages three and, and four well. of Andy Hinchcliffe, My Golden Years. Well, once you, once you wind him up, it's No, it's the interesting, and I've not been asked this, and I've not really talked about this a lot, is kind of the family side of things while you were playing as well, your parents, what happened to your parents, my kids... I've not talked about it a lot. Just and I listen don't to this podcast, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't like to talk about it a lot, but actually, questions that I've never... It's normally about the football side of things, you know, managers and players and stuff. But actually going through your younger life with your brothers and your family and how you got into the... I've never been asked a lot of those questions. And obviously my mum passing away and then obviously Sam having his heart condition. I've never really talked because I don't like to. But actually it is. And the more I talked about it, it became more relevant. And actually... It does help. It's like a therapy. Well, it was like a match day programme therapy for me. It was really good. This episode of Seppi's Menu will hopefully be the same. Will it? Yes. Oh. Tease. It, it, it was a heartwarming read, Chinch. And I have to so say, you weren't put off by the, the death and the heart valve problems. I, that, that warmed no, your heart. I, you, you knew about I it. Enjoy, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, but he knows how you talk about it most of the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> but I did, I did go through it a couple of times and, and, I, and I struggled to find any mention. In fact, there was no mention of your three best set-piece menu chums. Yeah. Did, that, did that not question come up? Did that, that might welcome it. Any future interview that oh. I do about what's happening to me now yes. and what groundbreaking pods and broadcasting am I doing now, I will, of course, flag up how well I'm doing would and you, I might give you a mention. I would imagine that it would be quite easy, though, to, to place that element into the context of what you were answering in the match day program so harder than you think because i didn't do it so for example my my (laughs) (laughs) it might have been edited out it seems straight no it wasn't edited out i never mentioned it had a terrible heart valve problem and there were 10 to 12 years of worry yeah had i had set piece many at the time i imagine that i would have had a much happier existence it's funny that never occurred to me well i think it probably is framing everything everything Everything. Everything needs to be framed within the, the, the kind of at least the parameters. Of so would I, have got, would I have got more than seven England caps if I'd been yep. part of the set piece menu yep. brigade? Really? Mm-hmm. How yeah. many How many more double or at least 60? 60? <laughs> yeah. Who am I? Phil Neville. <laughs> no, slightly better than Phil Neville. 
<laughs> I did, by I that did, count. I did think of Chinch yesterday morning, actually, on, on the radio when I spoke to Graham Roberts, formerly of Tottenham and Chelsea, ahead of the first leg of the yes, Tottenham Chelsea yes. EFL Cup semi-final. Well, that's Tuesday and morning, if you're listening at any other yeah. time. This and, week. and as part of the introduction to said guest, it mentioned that he had won six England caps. Only so the there six, you go. is it? So, Only the so six. six England caps is is still wow. still enough to get you, give you the big build-up. Yes, mm-hmm. and it goes to show that's you know why we mention it all the time. It's not because we're mocking you because no. of it. It's because it is one more than Graham. It's, it's all, that, that jump from six to seven big, big is, step. is a chasm in footballing terms. This is Set Piece Benny, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food will be served after we have pontificated on this week's pod. It will be Moroccan-style meatballs, or more specifically, meatballs in a sauce that comes from a jar saying Moroccan style sauce for meatballs on it plus couscous gently fragranced with lemon and coriander which is couscous in a bowl with some lemon juice and coriander so that's to come after the pod it looks pretty good right now to be honest it is bubbling away I will happily eat it straight out of the dish it looks good in the pan, bit in the mouth, it might be a little bit different. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, who has spent 2019 so far painting, and Andy Hinchcliffe, who has spent 2019 so far in Portugal, and indeed is returning to Portugal after being back for only 24 hours and a bit. Yes, I have been fair? doing that. Stephen, is it landscapes or portraits? <laughs> what kind of painting are you doing? Well, yeah, it's. It, I've, I've started. No I've started with bowls of fruit. You know, I'm thinking yeah. of then. You know, moving on to other Is sorts of. You know, life? daily. Yeah, still, still lives. Really. Pineapples are tricky, aren't they? Yeah, mm. yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to handle them too much. So you're well. doing a lot of rollering. Yeah, it, honestly, yeah. it is the the thing I. I, I love hate painting. the most. It's very relaxing. Oh well, I've, I've got a whole house effectively. <laughs> oh painting, well, so, um, I've got the overalls. Pop by, pop by any time. Mm. Uh, after you come back from Portugal for another stint, uh, Rory Smith, by the way, is at his compulsory New York Times correspondence meeting in London, so can't be with us today. I mentioned the word compulsory because I imagine he did absolutely everything in his powers to avoid attending. Hipster soccer writers just don't do meetings, although I'm sure the same thing happened last year, and he had to do it then as well. His absence does at least prevent us from having to talk about the length of the grass at the Etihad Stadium. Have a look on his Twitter thread from late Tuesday, the 8th of January. It is essential reading if you have been following or have taken part in that debate. And I say debate using the heaviest of inverted commas and also prevents me from having a similar rant about it all because it's the kind of thing that really annoys. Lee Johnson, Bristol City manager, measures the length of grass every time he arrives at an an away team. So clearly, it's a very important issue. He feels it changes the way the team plays. Is, is he not concerned that it might fluctuate from blade to blade? And that's quite a long, <laughs> no, I think he takes several task. sections of the pitch, at least six sections of the pitch he measures, and then takes a, a mean. Does he have uh, one of those, <laughs> um, like the, t- the 12 yes. centimetre, six inch type rulers that yes. you used to have in your pencil case at school? He has it on his key ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Knowing a Bristol City fan quite well, I think he would probably suggest that there are other things, other aspects of preparing his team that Lee Johnson could concentrate on with a, a little bit more detail than the length of the grass at the ground when Did they you arrive. You start with the length of the grass and then work out whether you should be playing uh, 4 2 3 one. When, when Rory is back next week, maybe we'll touch upon it and the wider issues. But now is not the time okay. for the grass. Um, get in touch via at setpiecemenu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. That's our email address. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook. Now, our Atabelt Derby, despite the completely silly nature of its inception, uh, was received with rightful acclaim. I think we'll all agree. Uh, thank you, first of all, to Mike um, for his work on the game between our house and bag 11. So you can see that on our Twitter feed at Set Piece Menu. Mike is at Victoria Guna. Um, there's no point in me explaining everything because it was so fulsome that I shall just get you to look I, at I, it. I will, I will just say that I have had less detailed notes on an official <laughs> 
legitimate Premier League match than the ones that Mike puts together for our Atavelt derby. So Mike was enthusiastic. There will, however, always be nitpickers. Ollie Argles writes, are you aware, who am I kidding, of course you are, we're not, that 2018 was the first year, the first year that Sergio Ramos did not receive a red card. Not sure what that means to his captaincy in the House 11, uh, but thought that I would mention it uh, from Ollie. Did you know that, Chinch? So he's had a red, at least one red card every single season of his professional career. Yeah. Well, what's going and, on with him? Until the time that we focus on the fact that he is an Atavelt house. Yeah. Unlike red cards, being an Atavelt cannot be rescinded. <laughs> that is true. Via VAR or not. Uh, on Twitter, Martin Robertson mentioned Ben Thatcher. Oh, Ben Thatcher. And Nasty. The conversation uh, led to a call for Alan Hutton to be included. From uh, That's from Seamus Hart. We needed fullbacks. Too late now, though. Although Ben Thatcher... The Scottish Cafu. <laughs> Alan Hutton. Why, why Alan Hutton? We're roaring into a two-footed lunge. Okay. I, I On the odd occasion, yeah. it has been suggested by uh, Seamus Harper. But yeah. Ben Thatcher, the famous Ooh. Pedro Mendes incident. I was there. We were there. We, we were there. there. We were commentating on it. We, thought, we, we said to ourselves, yeah, that looks fine. And then we saw the replay. Yes. And there was lots of kind of sucking in through the teeth and exhaling back out, going... Ooh. It was so far off, off the pitch, it was nearly in the players' lounge when he elbowed him in the face. It was appalled. That was bad. That was pretty bad. A late nod for Alan Shearer came in from Phil Heil. Yeah. Um, which was just Shearer's, in the last 25 hours. no sharp, way. Sharp does not. Shoxy, my old mate, England mate, Shoxy. No way. Did you way. ever get a Shearer elbow in the face? Yeah. But it, it's, <laughs> that's just the way it was, wasn't it? Was I, I think I ran into his elbow. A playful elbow. Yeah. A friendly. Yeah. And this email is from Joe Highland. Dear Steve, it says, I very much enjoyed the parlour game of compiling the Atavelt house and Atavelt bag 11s. However, I do have a bone to pick about the inclusion of Roy Keane in the house camp. I think Alfie Inga Haaland and Claudio Reyna, who were just two victims of particularly nasty challenges that ended slash nearly ended careers, would argue he is very much a bag. Whilst a lot of his behaviour on the pitch was indeed housery, he had that vindictive streak that crossed the line into baggery. For example, if Scholes' tackles were baggery, then surely a deliberate career ender is also a baggable offence. What about him kicking me up the pumper? Which, which category does that fall into? Because you can, that's you can completely unacceptable. That. Completely unacceptable. Acceptable. Up the pumper, off the pitch is a bag. as I'm going to get the ball for a throw-in what's all that about? People on Twitter have asked for a video evidence of you being kicked up the pumper and I don't think because <laughs> they want to ascertain whether Roy Keane is a bag or a They just want to they see just me want to see you That would be a great set-piece menu video promo wouldn't it as we each <laughs> take in turns <laughs> What's it like this? Boot Chinch's rear end I'll, 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 put the, I'll put some feelers out and see if I can find the, uh, the coverage Joe also says not only Keane is an Atavelt bag as a player he was also uh, able to branch out to become an Atavelt bag manager C spells oh. at Ipswich and Sunderland, mm. assistant manager, Republic of Ireland, and pundit. All rants, says Joe, are malicious and contain little to no constructive feedback or analysis. His revelations on various Manchester United players and being glad that Clive Clark had a heart attack mentioned in his autobiography suggest he is even an Atavelt bag author. <laughs> in light of this last point, I would like to propose another, if slightly defamatory, SPM 11. Uh, the off-the-field Atabelt Bag 11. Uh, he then goes on to name several players that have either had legal or relationship-based misdemeanours, uh, which, bearing in mind that we're already preparing for a lawsuit that will never to become from Ray Atabelt, it's, uh, it's best that we don't uh, repeat them uh, okay. here. Incidentally, oh, um, Rory has been in conversation uh, on Twitter this week with a gentleman uh, whose name I forget, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> who mentioned that we should probably stop being quite so nasty uh, to Ray Atabelt. Um, but I think it's all done in a spirit of genuine respect it's and love, nasty. isn't it? Jim? If we're shining a light, I, I shine a light on my own appalling career and behaviour. It, it's if it's true, <laughs> if it's true, it's okay, isn't it? 
this has taken on more of a life than we might have anticipated when we first when you started flippantly banding, suggested. But yeah, yeah, flippantly suggested Ray Atterbell in September. You did. Well, nobody I else. I didn't flippantly suggest it. It was, <laughs> came from the heart. <laughs> Meaningfully yes. suggested. Uh, here's, by the way, two things. Uh, I think we might have mentioned this before. A coach in Kazakhstan. Oh, phew. So for that, phew. Rory has already That's mentioned. That's quite a difficult flight. That yeah. it would be uh, an interesting SPM on tour. Um, but also um, that apparently he has a family website. And I think it's just Atterbell.com. NL, something like that. Yeah. So if you'd like to go and see a, oh God, an no. absolutely delightful, charming picture of Raymond Atterveld and his entire extended family, then then you'll understand why we yeah, think we've done we said that about the, the Ted Bundy family pictures and stuff like that. It's what's behind it. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> Again, we say <laughs> we, uh, dripping of sarcasm and a sense of real camaraderie and love. Our conversation today uh, on Set Piece Menu was actually suggested by two different people on emails just before Christmas. Such synergy cannot be ignored. Hugh Bailey Lane, who gets on because he's a Hugh, who is obviously posher than me, and Ed Prislucky, our friend from Buffalo, who gets on because he said this to sign off his latest email. Edward in Buffalo, New York, hurtling past Utica on the road to Buffalo status. P.S. Hugh, very well done on the Polish pronunciation of my surname, which was apparently oh so close. The anglicised version, well, nobody's perfect. Imagine the wise silence. So that's why I said Ed Przlucki. I hope I'm right with that. Both Ed and Hugh suggested we talk about life for a footballer immediately after retirement. Hugh, for example, wrote this. I am a recent-ish convert from other newspaper-led podcasts, and I am extremely content with my decision. Excellent. News. I have a suggestion for a future pod that I'd love to hear. What happens at the end of a footballer's career? Some of the stats around retired footballers, divorce, bankruptcy, um, gambling, etc., are awful. What support is there from the PFA, from clubs, from associations, etc., to help former players and managers and coaches, I suppose, into coaching, into business, or indeed any other new career? To which Ed adds something a little more chinch-specific. I was wondering, he says, could Andy give us a quick soccer story as to how he transitioned from his playing days to the booth? I imagine studio pundits have it much easier. Leave the game behind, throw on some trendy clothes, walk into a studio and have a chat. A gross simplification, I'm sure. Really isn't, Ed. I imagine Andy, on the other hand, had to not only learn and familiarise himself with everything discussed on the pod, which I know he does yeah. on a weekly basis, but a whole host of technical and technological points mm. involved in the televisual industry as well. So I'll ask this question then. What happens to a footballer the day after they retire? Most would assume it involves at least one round of golf, three meals containing foods that they've had to fastidiously ignore for the previous 15 <laughs> years or so. But if that's the positive, what's the darker, more negative side of having an adult life bereft of the one thing that has dominated it? Before we talk about day one after retirement, change, yeah. perhaps those weeks leading up to it, mm -hmm. which made the decision for you? Well, I was injured and I had a serious injury. That could have been any so weeks. It could have been any week of my career. Yeah. You know, I had a, a, after you left Everton for Sheffield Wednesday. Well, not after I started playing, it could have been any week after that. No, mine was, yeah, it was preempted by having a, a serious knee injury um, and I had kind of three or four, five months of recovery. I knew what well, they told me. The surgeon said, if you do recover, it's going to take you a full year. And then the kind of problem that I had, it could break down. I might need a knee replacement. So my decision was kind of taken out of my hand. I'd had a decent career, 16-year career. I was early 30s. And I felt it, it wouldn't make any sense to keep pushing it when the surgeons are telling you, if you carry on, you can have a knee replacement at 32. It really didn't seem sensible. So I had maybe a good eight, nine months preparation for my career coming to an end. But still then, 
when you, it's it's the strangest thing because it's like anything you've been doing it for 16 17 years that that becomes your life when it stops certainly back then when i stopped in 2002 it stopped that's it one day you're going into the club the next day you're not so i'm hoping things have changed and players who are retiring now are getting more help from the pfa are having more conversations with different people to cope um, with with stopping playing because it's like anything your body is so used to doing something for so long when you stop physically your body wakes up and is ready to work and you have to literally come down from playing the game. And that's what I felt for six months, mentally, physically. It was incredibly, incredibly hard. Even though I'd been injured for a period of time, I was still in the gym. I was still working to get kind of at least back on my feet again, at least in some decent condition. So I was still, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't just lying around having treatment and then going home. I was still working physically. And that is a, a huge thing, is, is the physical stop. And I didn't, in the end, you do realise that you can't stop. And I haven't stopped I, I still train as much as I possibly can. I eat a lot better than I used to do. I don't drink. So I've realised what I needed to do to kind of carry on after my football career. But that, that debt is incredibly scary. And obviously financially things change enormously. When you're so used to getting paid by your club month in, month out, it all changes. Well, and things you be, have to become, you have to grow up in many ways, virtually on day one. We will, we'll, we'll come to the financial aspect in, in just a second. But, but yes, day one mm. or the time that you were driving home from having had that conversation or whether was it a conversation that you had with the medical staff and then you just told the club or did you go and see the club and officially have to sign well, yes. anything yeah we, do, we did it because I still had some time left on my contract so we, we did a deal type of thing to get out about 18 months on my contract but what, what they I basically asked of the club is that they got me back on my feet again because I was still under contract in, in essence I could turn up every day for 18 months and say well look I can I can drag this out because I want to get back on my feet hopefully you'll see that I'm, I'm a well-meaning person yes you're paying me but get me back on my feet um, and then we'll try and sort my contract out, which we did, which was kind of beneficial to me, beneficial to Sheffield Wednesday as well. So it was kind of a, a, a group decision. But when you know medically you can't carry on, I could have just said, well, I'm going to turn up for 18 months and pick up all the money that I'm due. But I knew that wouldn't be right for me. I just feel, again, going into training, every it's incredibly depressing when you can't play. And there was no need for it because probably after six months I was back on my feet. I could I could move around, so everything would be fine. So probably that last year is what we basically sorted out. So I, I finished terminating my contract earlier than it should have been. But it made sense for everyone to do that. And having done that at, at Hillsborough or the training ground, you're yeah. driving home. P- people who don't know the, the geography, it's about an hour and a half. Yeah. So you've, you're in the car, hour and a half on the way back home. You're living in Bowdoin? Yeah, 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 South, South, South Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. Um, so what, what was that journey like? Did you, did you talk to anybody? No. Did you? No. What was going on in I your mind? I spoke to my ex-wife. We, we kind of discussed maybe what the future would be. Um, but I was 32, 32. And if you think, well, I've had a 17-year, very physical career. Your body certainly isn't 32 for what you've put it through for 16, 17 years. My knees, I'm 50 now. My knees, apparently, my surgeon was saying to me, you've got 75-year-old knees because that's the amount of grief that you've given them in the time that you were playing. But it's strange, kind of at 32, you feel mentally very young, but your body is probably... 60 years old because of the stresses and strains of, of actually playing the game and it's so it's a very odd and it's 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 scary and people might think well you've earned all this money your life after football but you can spend money incredibly quickly or people can spend your money incredibly quickly and when you've not got a regular wage coming in then it's about your pension it's about future work because you're so young there's another 50 years of life ahead of you there's there's another another world really to explore and that's why I was so fortunate to go into broadcasting and I know how fortunate I am I work hard at it but not a lot of guys have the ability to go and do that or the opportunity to go and do it. It's incredibly scary because literally things change from one day to the next. That's it. 
you've got no club to go to, the life that you've had for such a... And you're on your own, not on your own, but you have your family, but your kids are at school maybe. So it's it's incredibly scary. And it's something you do, yes, you maybe do need people to speak to. I didn't have a lot of... I didn't feel it was... I, I think this is a lot of the problem with players that have depression or have mental illness problems in society. We, we are afraid to admit there's something not quite right. And when you come out of the game... And, and say, oh, I'm feeling a bit funny about stopping playing. People will probably have, well, I would feel very little sympathy for you because you've had a brilliant career, you've been well paid. Just get on with it and deal with it. But it, it is very difficult. I know you had problems with the support that you got from the PFA. Um, so we'll, we'll come to that because that's an emotional issue as well as a, a financial yeah, yeah, issue. Yeah. Th- there's so much detail that we could get into and hopefully we'll have time to, to do as much of it as, as does it justice. But the, the thing that just strikes me as the most remarkable is the age. Yeah. When you say you're 32, I mean, Hugh and I have known each other since our early 20s and we've worked in very similar you know parts of the industry for the duration of of our friendship and I at 32 we were still trying to plot our career path and I'm sure lots of people are the same that doesn't that's not just a a media broadcasting journalism thing that must be true in so many walks of life where things start really for you when you get to your early 30s you just about think do you know what I think I've got the I've got things sorted out now in my head the the, the the career path I'm going to plot for myself and what I want to try and achieve during the course of my 30s. Mm. How are you dealing mentally with the fact that at that age, your career, everything that you've worked for and everything that you've understood for for all of your adult life, in fact, your, your youth and adult life, yeah. has come to an end? And this is why it's also, yes, because it is such a, a strange profession and you do live and work in in a in a bubble financially you're in a bubble because you're earning a lot more money than than most people would earn so it's a very strange lifestyle for the for the period that you're in it but also i i don't i, I tend to feel that there's not the development I, I didn't feel 32 when i retired i i felt immature and the people that I meet now, and I'm, I'm 50 now, the people I work in the job who are coming 50. out of the get, you're well, not, I'm close you're to 50. 49. When I meet them, that's the one thing that strikes me. They seem so young, not just physically, yeah. but mentally. Because of the bubble that you live in as a footballer, maybe it's changing now and they're trying to maybe educate players a little bit more and, and kind of it's not just about the football and travelling to and from games and training every day. It's about developing as people. That can be the problem. You come out of the game, say the average age of retirement may be under 35. I feel that a lot of those 35-year-olds are probably mentally 25 years old because of the life that they It's not their fault, maybe. It's just the career and the life of being a footballer because a lot of stuff gets taken care of for you. I never had a, um, an agent. I dealt all my financial stuff. I dealt with myself, insurances, buying cars. I did myself because I felt I wanted to be in control and I felt it's my life, so I want to deal with these things. A lot of modern players, with the amount of money they earn, they're frightened and allow other people to do all these jobs for them. Suddenly when your career ends, you've got to sort out your own house insurance. How how do I do that? You've got to change your car. Well, I don't know how to do that. I've had people doing all these things, making decisions for me. So again, that will keep you relatively immature because you have other people... It around you doing all this work for you so the amount that you have to take on so your career stops from one day to the next and then suddenly if you have agencies and, and people that are involved hopefully they do keep the connection with the players even after they've stopped playing because that's when you need help the most because that's when everything is suddenly new to you you've not done it for 15 years suddenly then everything is thrown we have to deal with it yourself life insurance everything needs to be sorted out for, for yourself and someone else isn't doing it you've got to do it so you've got to like I say you've got to grow up Virtually the day after you stop playing is when you really have to grow up and you're having to make up for maybe 10 years, I feel, mentally 
in the space of, of six months. But paradoxically, you are also because of the trappings of being a footballer, because of the fame mm. and the fact that you have a lot of money, a lot younger than anybody else in a normal career where they yeah. would build up the fame to getting the, the, the most. The not playing didn't bother me. The fame was, I never played the game for the notoriety. I, I genuinely didn't but, do that. But, it was a means to an end. It was a job. It paid the mortgage. It, it put my kids through school. I saw it. I did see it slightly different. I saw it for what it was. And I knew at 16, when I started my pension, is that 32 was going to come around very quickly. Maybe a lot of footballers don't, because of the amount of money they earn, they maybe don't see themselves as a 30-year-old. Well, what do I do then? I always saw myself in my mid-30s, and where do I go from there? But what I mean about the, the, the trappings, it, it allows you to make decisions that mo most people spend a lot more time making mm. because they have to consider the financial yes, aspect. Yes. So, for example, you were very young when you had Sam and Dan. Yeah. Relatively speaking, I'm out but, of 21. Yeah, but you you could afford to be a father and to have a family. Yeah, absolutely. At that yeah. age, yeah. because of the money that was coming in. Yeah. There are families all over the world who say, "Well, I, I might be married. I might want to have kids at the age of 21 because I feel like I'm in the right place." But I I simply couldn't afford to. Mm -hmm. So you've got the paradox of not only being capable financially of having all the things that a maturer person, yes. a more mature person, would get later in life, but also the fact that they are mentally immature mm -hmm. when they do that because they are young yes so when you retire the day after suddenly you've got a family you've got two kids you've mm -hmm. got all these things that other people have set up for you or in your case yeah. change you, you you set them up yourself mm -hmm. but you are you are suddenly in a position where you are going to have to carry on that strange paradox without yes having the huge amounts of money yeah coming in so how did you deal with 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 sue your first wife yeah. and the kids in the weeks afterwards did mm -hmm. you find yourself overwhelmed did you think to yourself I'm going to have to change the way that I behave as a father uh, well and you financially have to change the way that you live because you can't afford as you say the money rolling in you, you I never I didn't ever take it for granted I knew it was happening and why it was happening and I knew I was planning always planning for my mid-30s and planning ahead with pensions with financial I had a brilliant financial advisor who, who helped me do everything that would plan for so I was very lucky but the most important thing was seeing the job for what it was and what it gave me and seeing an end to it, I think that does catch a lot of players out, I feel, because you, when, when you're in your, your mid-twenties and you're playing regular football, you feel this is, I'm never going to be 35, this is going to last forever. But this is what I say to a lot of the younger lads, it, it, and have you thought about what you're going to do in the future? And the future to them is never going to happen. And that is when, say, you get a serious injury. And that's, I had serious injuries along the way, which opened my eyes. I had a serious knee injury, which actually I'm really thankful for, because it showed how quickly... Like the how career old, can be how taken. Old were you then? I was 27 when, again, if I'd had to, had to retire at 27, my story would have been I hadn't played for England, I hadn't done all the things. Actually, I just got into the England squad, so the contracts I were getting were better. But I didn't have the financial clout that maybe from 27 to 32, the money that I had gained in that period of time enabled you to live quite comfortably for a period of time afterwards because of the Premier League and the money in the game. So it was. It was incredibly, it was incredible, but I, I was more prepared because the injuries I had in the past and, and I knew that how quickly the, the game can be taken away from you. I'd had the preparation of having an injury, but I was going in into a club and getting treatment for maybe six, eight, nine months. So the, the, the prep was always there, but my prep had started when I was 16 years old. That's how I've always seen things. I always like to plan ahead and maybe a lot of players, because they have a lot of people around them doing all this stuff for them, it enables them, yes, to concentrate on just playing, which of course is vitally important. But knowing where your money's going, how to live life, is life lessons are so important to, to young footballers or even footballers in their late 20s. Because to me, mentally, they're still 
they will be very young and because other people are dealing with things for you you just leave it to them but there will come a day when those people will step away and move on to the next thing and that is when it's down to you how much do you know how much you're willing to learn how much you're willing to change you know there's certain things you simply can't afford anymore because the money's not what it was because it, it does drastically come down and one divorce can change and it happens a lot not just me it happens an awful lot I'm not just saying it was we got divorced because I stopped playing football it was a period of time after that but I know a lot of stories of a lot of players whose wives get very disillusioned when the football stops which was the question I wanted to ask you you've led on to it a conversation I had probably 10 or 12 years ago with a league two manager at the time and his assistant had been down for a pre-match chat I don't know how we got onto it, but one of the major concerns they had about some of their players who were coming towards the end of their careers, and, and also I think they were sort of thinking further on as, as football managers as to how they would deal with, with older players, was what you have just mentioned, is that they felt there was an incredibly high separation and divorce rate yeah. amongst retiring footballers. And they, they compared... A retiring footballer to somebody that was coming out of the military yeah they had lived a very very controlled life mm -hmm. yes in many many ways a a luxurious and enviable life from a footballer's point of view but everything they'd done had been so carefully plotted and detailed for them that maintaining relationships on the other side of that became incredibly difficult yeah. because it the lifestyle that you were leading was as much a part of, of how you felt about that person yeah. as as perhaps any other aspect of the relationship. Well, my first one, Sue and I met when we were when we were kids, so we, we'd known each other all our lives and we were together throughout my playing career. So but again when you're when you're travelling a lot and playing an awful lot, you're in a, you're away an awful lot. So your relationship is is different. You're not together. When you retire suddenly you are you wake up in the morning, I don't have to go to the club to train today, I'm going to be at home. And that's maybe why these problems do occur, is actually you're suddenly spending a lot more time together and maybe you have to get to know each other again because you're not going out for six hours a day to the training ground because that's the life that you've had for 15 years. Suddenly, you're in each other's pockets. And that's I, th I, I did think that was a, a problem for myself and maybe many, many other players, is that actually the relationships that you, you had or you thought were a certain way when you stopped playing, they, they do change because you are together a lot more. And then again, if you find other work and actually getting away from each other is more the norm because that's what you've been doing for 15, 20 years as a player. You were away virtually every day and overnight with, with certain games as well and tours and things like that. So again, with the military, it's probably a, it's yeah. probably a very understandable kind of um, similarity in, in many ways in the fact that you're not turning up you're not working a nine-to-five job and, and being there every evening and because that's not how it was because of course you play in the at nights as well so again that's something these are the things I've never really thought an awful lot about but they they do have a strain because you, you you think well it's my career that's ended here it's, I, I was the footballer but it affects everybody in your family and that's maybe again but that's a huge strain it's something that with finances you think well money can solve everything and we can well things need to change kids need to change schools we need a new car we need a new house we can afford to do it so you feel well that's that's the main problem that you have we need to change something we can afford to do it well that all changes on the day you stop because financially you maybe haven't got the freedom to do what you did previously so then that brings a an added strain and people have got used to ways of life holidays where you used to and and it can it, it can it can it can make things very difficult it certainly did i found it 
even though I'd had that preparation for retiring, I did find it incredibly physically and mentally tough for at least six months. I felt my body was just going crazy, thinking, well, why, why are we not doing something today? Because we've been doing it for so long. And then that has to affect your relationships with other people because they see you very differently and you're spending more time together. You can become incredibly annoying, which I'm sure I was. <laughs> become and then stay. Yes. Um, it's a version of, surely, PTSD. Now, I appreciate mm. you, you've not been in a hailstorm of bullets and, and you haven't been fighting for your life on every occasion, but, but the, the stresses and strains that come with being a footballer in the way that you put the, the physical strains on your body, but also you're under incredible amounts of pressure and stress because of everything that's coming from the crowd. It's probably you don't appreciate the time because you get so, as you're saying, so used but, but to doing it. Goes, it. Yes, but when, when it, it goes, goes, then you think again, yes, again, the, the focus changes completely. Yeah, and again, that changes things mentally for you. And they, th- there are those in other sports, particularly more physical sports, c- combative physical sports, mm. contact sports, where um, that feeling taken away is is incredibly difficult mentally to come to terms with. Yes, and that's also described as an element of or a version of yeah. PTSD. Whilst mm. not saying it's anything near serious, obviously being involved in warfare. Yeah, um, so you can you can understand in any any human being that the the, the kind of comparison of the, the stress of the job and then the vacuum without it. Yes. When that's a large gap between the two, clearly that is going to leave you with a lot of kind of unanswered or un, un, kind of unfulfilled feelings. It's also getting to know, well, who am I? It seems a strange thing to say as if we're being far too philosophical about the whole thing. But actually, as, as a football, well, that defined you for virtually your whole life. So when you come out, You've got to kind of learn, come out. That probably says everything, doesn't it? It's like you've been, if you've been trapped in a certain. But if that's because you've that's been doing. That's a whole other podcast. Yes, yeah. exactly. But when you, yeah, but when you come out, it's kind of you have to learn. Well, what what do I want out of? What what do I want to do with myself? And my kids were young, so I was very keen, and I'd missed a lot of their growing up because of, of playing and travelling. So I wanted to be around for them. And then, in many ways, I fell into the career that I had. I didn't plan to go into brought back I'm really glad that because I need something cherry picked by a, yeah. an incredibly talented talented creative and good looking handsome yes I, I don't know who that was Ian Cheeseman <laughs> um, but again it's finding out and it might seem strange well surely you must know who you are you're 32 33 you've been playing no but you, you don't because it, the dressing room is such an immature place and it's so protected from the outside world and the money can if you want it to can protect you from the outside world as well you can drive through the gates of a training ground and you're Bentley, whatever it is, and go to your house with your six foot one, and you can live a completely independent life. And you, you don't, do you go to wage shows? Do you go to Tesco? Do you do all the things that normal people do? But that's what happens when you stop playing. No, Suddenly, he said wage shows. Yeah. I said wage shows first. He didn't say why, little or why, Aldi, did he? I still go to little and Aldi. Excellent, su- or, excellent or quick superstores. Save, quick save as it would have been when <laughs> yes, she was yes. But th- this is the whole thing, is getting back to, in essence, Normal seems the wrong way of explaining it, but it's having all the stresses and strains that normal people will have in their lives. And because football is so... And it's even, in in many ways, even with more money that you earn, I I really don't feel that makes it any easier when you retire. Because it's amazing how quickly you can get through that money when you've got time on your hands and you haven't got a job to go to, which is paying you regularly. If you're living off the money that you've earned, yes, it can be, not in my case, but it can be tens of millions. But a divorce... Bad investments. I, I know so many players that have, have been through. We've heard so many stories about players' bankruptcies, and the money they earned was astronomical. It, it can go horrendously wrong very quickly. And a lot of it maybe is from because people don't know that new world that they're living in, and they make mistakes because playing the game has isolated them from the real world, where 
you can you can lose money here. Your wife can want to leave you. You can you won't be able to afford the cars that you had before. But if you still want to live up to that image, you can lose all that money very quickly. And it has happened, and it will continue to happen. You don't have to answer this because it's quite personal. But but bearing in mind you were being paid as a footballer until the age of thirty-two, and the way that you settled with Sheffield Wednesday basically meant that you were thirty-three when you stopped yes, yes. stopped getting that money. Yeah. Say that built up an amount of money. Mm-hmm. How long did that? last you because it would have been a period of time where you were still using that money even yeah. though there was nothing coming in you would have mm-hmm. been using that money mm-hmm. how many years do you think did that did that give you say you'd earned not one penny more so if I hadn't had a second career if never I had gone into bro- well, that, that how would long be, would that have lasted well, that's, you that's, it's, it's hypothetical because I've gone into and again which is why I'm so fortunate to have a a company that I work for and to be paid because I, I need that and also you need to know that's why I like to be under I like to know what the future is going to hold for me for three or four years it might in many ways a lot of people don't like that they like to be freelance or have the freedom to I'm not I've never really been one of those types of people and I was very lucky that's why it was absolutely crucial for me and I'm so thankful that this handsome <coughs> broadcaster that I came across really yeah. shaped and defined my yeah. if, if not yeah. for that how how long would that money well I got divorced, so there's half your money gone straight away. So it would have lasted you at least until the divorce, do you think? Um, well, you'd have to... What, what The first thing I actually did, I'm, I'm, I went into the bank literally the day after I retired because you know how much much money you had been earning, you had been spending, and there's certain things that had to stop because they you simply couldn't afford... You can't continue to pay yourself the wages that a club would pay yourself or you'd run out of money within two years because this is the whole point. You, you build up a pot of money, you have investments to pay you drip effect for the next in theory 40 50 years that is that is the plan but when you're 32 that is that's a hell of a long time to basically sit around and 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 like say if your family is used to going on holiday to dubai or to america they think well we're going on holiday to dubai and america aren't we well no but that costs 10 15 000. we can't afford to do that oh and that's when the dynamics within the family can change an awful lot. It certainly happened with me, and I'm sure that happens with a lot of other people as well. You have to strip things back. What, did you, what did you go into the bank and stop paying for? Um, can you remember? I'm sure we changed, we had two cars, we changed the cars immediately. Can you remember what, what you had? I had a Jaguar XKR, which was a 65,000, again, it's ludicrous. Yeah. I look at myself and think, what on earth am I buying? a £65,000 car for because I could afford to buy a 65000 and then drive it over the Woodhead Pass but Manchester Sheffield behind <laughs> an articulated lorry spitting up stones but again well I had a Renault Clio when I used to do that trip <laughs> well, there you go <laughs> but then again if the car got pockmarked or, or looked a bit well we'll just change it because you had the fine you had yeah. muscle to do that so what did you replace the Jaguar with I got something really a, a, a Volkswagen which I drive now Volkswagen yeah, Golf they're Golf tremendous funny. cars and the, but again, this is what. But that's uh, my preparation was. I knew this day would come, and in a kind of way, I was looking forward to it because, yeah, you have your career. It can't go on forever. No matter what you think that it will, it won't. And actually, the challenge is: well, can I live another life? Can I adapt? Can I change? Can I become something different? And that's why I've worked so hard to hopefully become a decent broadcaster because that is playing football was instinctive, and it's something that you were in many ways born with broadcasting wasn't it's something I've had to learn and, and listen and find out about and hopefully develop and I've took more pleasure from actually in many ways coping with life after football going through a divorce and getting a new career which I was fortunate to be given by this handsome broadcaster of the past um, <laughs> the but past. what would have happened to me uh, and this is why all these terrible stories we hear of players 
with depression and not having or, or just coming out of the game they might not have depression but they've got nowhere or they feel well, I can't really talk about what I'm going through because no one's going to have any sympathy for me because look how much money I have look at who I am look at what I've achieved who's going to listen to you know poor old me and my sob story but it is absolute. that is the most crucial time for a footballer to speak and get help and that's the day after you retire or even before even that the planning the two years before you retire or think you're going to retire start thinking then about how you're going to actually live your life just just a slight sidebar because people often talk about what they do if they want the lottery <laughs> technically having been a professional footballer yeah you have won the lottery yeah in one way or another if you came back into a similar sort of money again mm-hmm. with your wisdom what would be the one thing that you'd go back and buy for yourself once more. Would you have the Jaguar? No. Or would you have the big absolutely house? Not. Or would Abs- you have the holiday? Absolutely not. No. None of it. I, I, what I, for us, but again, well, with, yeah, yeah. With, we'd, get better, we'd get better Christmas presents. Hopefully coming out of the game and having, what we're looking at now, 18 years. So I've been retired as long as I played. Definitely, yes, because obviously you're more mature and you realise what's really important. And, and do you need a £65,000 car or a £10,000 car? Really, it, it's just, again, you feel, again, do you get drawn into doing these things because everyone else is doing them? You think that's what a footballer would drive? That's what a footballer would do. But I, I, I could have spent a lot more. We did, we did spend an awful lot of money. But certain areas that you know, for the kids, their education, everything, we tried to do the very best that we could. Again, we could afford to do it, so we're very lucky. But no, if I went back, if I would deal with. And actually, the money that you would earn playing the position I played, if we're looking at, I don't know, Leighton Baines or Ben Chilwell, they must be earning upwards of sixty-five, seventy thousand pounds a week, which is hugely way 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 above what I was earning so the money would be even better for doing the same yeah. job so again I'd hope that I would uh, yeah, I had a family I had a young family so again a lot of what I did in terms of the house the schools was all based around the family yes I was very lucky in in the way that I could live and cars I could drive and, fa- and holidays that I had and all that type of stuff so but I, I would hope that I would live and I know I would I would do things differently the institutions that we mentioned at the beginning um, it was in uh, Hugh's original email um, are different now to what they were then in the way that they handled things. Um, that's the same of pretty much every institution when you go back 15, 16 years. But all those questions you were asking earlier, what do I do? Where do I go? Who do I speak to? Were any of those answered by any institutions? No. There, there, there wasn't... Whether it's any different now, I, I don't know whether on a player's retirement do the PFA, I presume we're talking about the PFA because they're the players, but in essence, you're not a player anymore. But as I say, that's when it's most important that you get some help. Hopefully, if you have problems while you're playing, lots of players, I'm sure today, have, have problems with depression that they're, they're too worried to talk about or the clubs don't maybe appreciate. They see them as an asset. They don't understand that actually they might need some some help, some, some huge help, and it would make a big difference to their lives. Um, so no, I, I, you, you always, well, I always felt, well, I'm hopefully strong enough. I, I don't maybe think as a lot of footballers think and I can cope with life after football because I prepared myself for it. But even though I did, it still was incredibly tough. So it doesn't matter how strong you feel you are or how mature you think you are. When you come out of the game, the change is absolutely... No matter what you go into, you might go into a well-paid broadcasting job, which a lot of the big Alan Shearer, Rio Ferdinand, are you know, they're great careers, but I presume they're well-paid and fall immediately into another... But it's still another world, a completely different world, when you have to do... You have to fend for yourself. You have to maybe arrange your own... All the stuff that you, you, you didn't have to do when you were playing. So even that, even though the money is maybe similar to when they were playing, it's still... You're a different person. You're, in essence, a completely different person. 
and you would hope that the contact would come from outside to players because but now there's more and more stories about players having problems mental problems depression that as players retire you feel surely the PFA for one would would be getting in touch with these players and saying is there anything we can do and continually following up as well because players will naturally say no I'm fine even when they're not because men especially in a dressing room you don't tend to admit that you don't know anything so you probably but again you have to surely have to follow up for six months nine months a year and keep and have that connection because you'll always be a former player so the the PFA should hopefully still have that willingness to no matter how old you are is to there's a lot of course there's thousands thousands of, but it's it has to be done because it's so upsetting to hear the stories that we hear about the problems that players have after they finish the game but the argument from fans will be well you earn loads of money you just have to that's just the way it is no that's not fair that, it really that's isn't fair apparently the PCA in, in cricket the Professional Cricketers Association are, are very good at doing that sort of thing but it, it, it takes somebody to come out and talk about and also yes and the players need to accept in order if, if health is offered just sit down and talk whether there is something there or not don't just block yeah, yourself off to say understand you have to it, open it, yourself it up, yeah. at least exists because yes, of those yes, examples yes. so yeah. that they can put in place something for those who might yeah. not be necessarily able to self-diagnose mm. to, to, to help them talk there talk have been it. some high profile examples of late of stigmas and barriers being broken down and that can only be to the benefit yeah. of, of those coming out of, of the game in terms of being able to at least vocalise their need for support and not perhaps to feel like they're so alone I wonder whether the fool the more money there is in the game the fool becomes that much greater, doesn't it? Yes. But I wonder whether, you know, bearing in mind what you're now doing, Chinch, that there are one or two more safety nets than there were perhaps 10, 15, 20 years ago in terms of the number of former players you see working in the, the media, mm -hmm. uh, the larger clubs coaching departments yes. become yeah. the more jobs there are in that regard for former players. So although, although drop it, you know, it's a long cliff to drop off the edge of, hopefully there are, are more opportunities to stay in the game mm -hmm. in one way or another for, for former well, players yeah. than it was two yeah. decades ago. And that's why it's important you, you see a lot of players or hear about a lot of players who start their coaching badges in kind of their late 20s. It's not something they get to the end of their careers and then start scrapping, well, I've got to stay in the game, so the next best thing is a coach or a manager, so I've got to get my qualification. You see them doing it well ahead of time, which again shows they're preparing for their future and saying, well, I love the game. It was never, for me, I was never a manager or a coach. I was never that interested in football because, again, being a footballer is one thing. Being a coach manager the amount of hours you've got to spend doing the job is a massive step up from being a player so you've really got to love the game and if you do it makes sense then maybe in your late 20s to start thinking about coaching badges so by, by the time you retire you're fully qualified and then the opportunities as you say might be there for you and you're hearing more and more players doing this because it's firstly the world that they know they've been doing for 15-20 years so they know football inside out so maybe coaching and managing but then again there's not that many. You probably think about the opportunities, maybe in academies, and, and I've got friends, former players, who work in academies, and it's a godsend for them because they needed to do something, financially needed to do something, and staying in the game, that, that's as close as, as being a player as you can get, and it's, a, it's clearly a talent that they have as well. So, But you have to be ahead of the game. You have to think that it's going to end well before it ends. So whether it be a lot of guys that have about media training now as well, they know maybe coaching managing is not for them, so they're getting media trained as well, which gives them an advantage when they come out of the game. They're not starting from zero. They've already had an idea of what might be uh, ahead of them. That's vitally important as well. But they can go into anything, I suppose. But it's really, it's the acceptance that that has, has finished. And a lot you hear about a lot of players who are desperately trying to hang on and live the life after they've stopped playing that they had when they were playing. And that is incredibly dangerous because financially, it were, and of course the pressures of with, with money, we know what it's like for any family. If the money starts to tighten up, 
that can cause problems right across the board. So it's it's accepting that it's ended, and then again, what kind of person am I? What abilities do I have? What what have I put in place for myself? What foundations have I laid for the next forty years? Because that's going to be three times the time you spent playing the game, and that's the scary thing. It's accepting that 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 time is ahead of you and and putting plans in place for it. Oh right, well, oh, I thought that was more. no follow up. So engaged. No, I was just listening to what you had to say. Um, the other original email uh, was from Ed, who wanted to know about the, um, the transition from playing to the booth, as they say uh, in the States. Um, you mean the freezing cold ganchi with the wind blowing? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. There Not is the no booth. There's no window. <laughs> There's no warmth. There's no heaters in there. It's freezing. But you, you, for example, have are one of these former footballers who have the means still uh, to be able to buy one of those gilets, which you can warm via yes. an app on your phone, and then you charge it up. And oh you can, yes, it's, it's ridiculous. Which, which I saw recently. Pounds. I saw it recently. It is a fine, fine piece. That's of, the next uh, Christmas present. Fashion, yeah. And if Blazewear want to get in touch with me and sponsor me, <laughs> or I'm open, or give the pod maybe. Yes, yes, freebie. No. So, Blazewear. Another former City footballer, Michael Brown, has also tried pretty much exactly the same thing. <laughs> um, but uh, Ed asked for it to be a, a soccer story, thinking it wouldn't be a whole episode, but perhaps okay. we could frame the final part of this discussion in a soccer story. Do you have a story about how you went into the booth, which doesn't involve mentioning a really attractive, talented, forward-thinking, talent-spotting uh, broadcaster? Oh, you. Yeah. Oh, I have to mention it was you, obviously. You did help me no, we don't. slightly along the way. Is that who he's been talking about? Yes, yes, time? yes. Oh. He's just been smirking as I've been mentioning this handsome I'll, I'll guy. Post, I'll post a photo of you, a close-up. Yes. With the one with all the blemishes <laughs> yeah. online yeah, so that people can make their own mind up. <laughs> yeah. he described. But like I was talking about maybe maybe planning and, and preparing for life after football. I, I was preparing for life after football, not a life in broadcasting after football, because I really did fall into it by chance, I was actually... What were you going to do, by the way? What were you going to do if you hadn't done broadcasting? That, well, if you say you were I, planning, what were you going to do? I had Well, my kids were at an age where I wanted to give them at least two years of my time, taking them to school, picking them up from school, doing everything possible. So my days became, well, revolved around them, where they were playing football and, you know, being, being part of their lives rather than kind of in and out when you're playing and travelling and everything else. So really, I hadn't, for the first two years, I thought, I just want to immerse myself in family life and see the boys for the, for the two or three years until they get to an age where they want to go off and do their own thing and, and your you kind of relationship changes. So that, that was my plan for those first two years. But obviously financially things were okay, so I knew there was a period of time. But I genuinely didn't because I knew I was going to be a cultural manager. Broadcasting hadn't never occurred to me because I didn't used to do interviews and was petrified of cameras with a face like me. That's understandable. <laughs> um, it was a chance meeting with name-dropping Kevin Keegan, <laughs> I used to live in, in, in Bowden, which is quite close to Hale, where a lot of city footballers, United houses, footballers used big to... Houses. Big-ish houses. houses, my semi-detached. They've and actually outgrown, they've outgrown Hale now, haven't yes, they? Are they? They've spread. Yeah. Olderly Edge yeah. and all that type of thing. So yeah, he, didn't, he didn't have a semi-detached. I, I went to that house. Did you? Yes. And did you go to did. my triple was garage house, did yes. you? Yeah. Was it a terrace? Again, triple no. garage. I only had one car. What's that all about? <laughs> ridiculous. ridiculous behaviour. Um, but it was, a, it was a nice house. It was, it was not on the scale of stupid footballer houses. It was, it was a nice house. But you moved out of it very quickly to the farmhouse as if to suggest yes. I'm, I'm shunning that life of the slightly ridiculous. And actually, again, you do for, for my wife. She was a horse rider and everything else. So the amount of money we lost, spent and lost on buying horse. We put £40,000 for horses, for ponies. to ju- Ludicrous. But again, anyway, I, I, what I did was I had my career very so I was thinking well right the, my wife she, this is what she wanted to do so we moved somewhere with some land so she could ride the horses and the kids you threw yourself into that life and then we were just it was a Chinese restaurant in, in Hale 
the Chinese restaurant that you were thinking about getting the takeaway from when you were playing football? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely it was. That's, that's the one. I've also been to that Chinese that's restaurant done. in Hale. It's a very, very nice Chinese restaurant. It is. It is a good one. Yeah, so again, Kevin Keegan happens to be in. All of a sudden, it makes sense. His mind wandering at set pieces makes sense all of a sudden. And if you know how good their food is, you can understand why with five minutes to go against Wimbledon, I'm thinking about my chow mein rather than Johnny Hartson. Anyway, so yeah, I Bang, just, happened to meet, goal. just happened to meet Kevin Keegan and he's obviously city manager at the time and we're chatting away uh, and he just said, well, you, you should come down, bring your kids down to a game at City sometime. So, you know, you say, yeah, yeah, I will. And then City got in touch with me and, and we went down to a game. I did an interview because someone saw me at the game and said, can we have a quick word with you? So I, had, I did an interview uh, with them about being at City and everything else and being at that game. And then it just led from there doing the co-commentaries on the radio for City games and then meeting this handsome forward thinking clearly talent spotter of a uh, of a producer Again, producer but, would but we say no I was oh. sports editor sports editor when did, when did you meet I'm not talking about you by the way oh, right, okay, when sorry. did you meet Hugh yeah he, he came one. along <laughs> later on after I'd met right, this fantastic so the producer guy was right. so again I just felt it was just purely by chance but again I, I'm not a big believer in fate but when that you look back and that type of thing happens and then you go on to the position I'm in now and people are actually listening to what I'm saying about how we should maybe the direction we should take if you'd have said this is where you're going to be in what we're we looking at now when did I first start 2010 so actually I had longer than I thought out of the game so probably two three years we were working together we started in 2004 so, oh so actually that's two years so I had those yeah. two years with the kids fell into doing all the radio work that's it. so I've been doing for a good 10 years now but if you'd have said this is where you're going to be I said no chance I'm not that type of person but again once I got the opportunity hopefully I just threw myself into it and said there's more there's more of a challenge here I can learn more about myself and what I'm capable of by becoming a good broadcaster or a decent broadcaster because clearly I'm starting from zero but if I work hard enough and listen um, I can make a, a go of it so and strangely I, I feel I'm happier now than I was when I played I felt more nervous, I felt more threatened, I felt more uncomfortable playing football than I did commentating on it when I wouldn't have said boo to a goose for a vast majority of my career because I was scared to death to open my mouth for fear of making myself look stupid. And now it's what I do as a career. Not making myself look stupid. Yeah. No, but no, no, you've just mouth. got rid of the fear of it. <laughs> yeah. And again, <laughs> that, again, that comes with age maybe and experience and, and going through injury problems, divorces. I... I definitely feel has made me stronger it's made me realize what I am as a person and what I want out of life and the type of people that I want in my life and and I genuinely if not for the 75 year old knees I couldn't be happier I wish I had younger knees this podcast goes out uh, just about four weeks before you turn 50 did you have to mention that? You you add a year every time, so don't have a go at me for saying when it is. Oh, yeah. At the beginning of February, you turn 50. Mm. Now, apart from the fact you're still wearing super dry, even today, yeah. would you have ever imagined that as you turn 50, this is how things would look like for you? Um, what, being so physically fit and handsome? Don't mean the physical aspect. You mean my career? No, absolutely not. No, because I was... I, but I did... I, I, in the last four or five years of my career at Everton and then at Sheffield Wednesday when I was in my 30s and there were a lot of younger players coming through which I can't you have that kind of fatherly feeling when you have your own kids and then you see young players at 16, 17 and you try to help them along Think that's it started for me that I started to think about more than just myself and, and how difficult it would be stopping playing I realised there's other people there that you can actually help as well so I started to change as a person as well thinking about how I can maybe help other people out and that's what I try to do in what I'm doing now as well the older you get 
hopefully the more experience you get, the better you get. And people, if they ask you for advice, players coming out of the game or getting into the media and stuff, and, and they do ask, and it's wonderful that they do, but you try to give them and tell them the good and the bad and what you need to do. What I did that enabled me, hopefully, to get to the point that I am, it won't necessarily be the same for everybody because they're not all the same as you, but you can certainly point them. But telling them how difficult life can be, not just the job can be, life can be, it does help them because they understand that people have been there before and it's not unusual to feel the way that you feel, to feel as if life has no meaning anymore because you're not playing football, even though you've got a family and everything else. You can feel completely adrift because that, that kind of anchor that you've had for so long in your life has gone. And it does. T- is a, there is a transition period and people have been through it before and it's good to talk about it. And that's what hopefully I can do with this pod. Any former players who are, who are listening, maybe they are, I'm here to talk. You know, my, my door is open. Um, I have a chaise long and a comfy chair and a, a pencil and a pad. And now you do and live I in a semi-detached. So it's, I do live in a semi-detached. Much, much more sensible environment in which to... Yeah, and I'm, I'm very, very lucky. It's got eight bedrooms and seven baths. No, 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 it has gold <laughs> gates. But less is definitely more. For me, I've got financially a lot less, but my life is a lot richer, not just for the podcast, but Nikki and my whole my life, I've got a granddaughter. Everything, I, I couldn't ask for I've been incredibly, incredibly lucky. Apart from the podcast, I've been incredibly, <laughs> incredibly lucky to be. And if I can help in any way anybody in their early 30s coming out of the game, yes, they'll have more money than I ever did, but there's still mentally a huge void to fill, and it's it's how you how you find out what's best for you. And there 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 are two ways that you are doing that. You're doing that with the the pamphlet that yes, will, that will become yes. something more, uh, no doubt. It's not in a the pamphlet, future. is it? <laughs> pamphlet, Stephen. You've yeah, seen it. You, you contributed to this thing. It's, it's not a, a pamphlet. It's a ring Google document. <laughs> binder. You haven't run, ring bound it. Ring is that a ring, thing? Ring bound it. You put it inside. I think uh, some sort of plastic kind of document How do you wallet. know this? You don't know what I've done with it. Um, it's certainly all colour it print, is which is very exciting. And it's an impressive body of work. I've, I've changed it. I've adapted it again, Stephen. So yes, the more, co- I, more I, I think about it, the, the, it adapts and changes. Is that, what, so, yeah. is that what you do whilst lounging around in the Algarve? When you're not <laughs> I don't lounge around in the Algarve. Joao keeps me very busy. <laughs> By the way, we're going to put on our Twitter feed at some point in the uh, coming hours uh, proof that Chinch does indeed lounge around in the Algarve, which is, which is a picture that will uh, horrify you uh, beyond any measure that you could possibly imagine. Do you want me to send you a picture of Joao and I shredding our nards? That's a that's a gym <laughs> term, by the way. There's nothing like sexual that. in that whatsoever. I would like that very much. Yeah. And yes. so we, we, we would be nice to put a, a face to a name where Joao's could Yes, oh, I've got a What feeling, a wonderful man. I've got a feeling I could guess at how he looks, but I really want that confirmed. Um, he only, only ever wears singlets, uh, Joao. That's what I've already decided. Singlets? Singlets. Um, <laughs> so you've got the document which helps those recently retired footballers who are thinking about getting into the media industry. That is a, a fine thing and will become a great tome and a textbook for all to follow. But yeah. also the kind of emotional guidance that, that you can give as well. So well, something I've no, I, I don't feel, I'm, I'm not saying I've got all the answers. I'm and, saying that you uh, yeah, can yeah, provide yeah. that should they want But that, it's only by doing this pod that it's made me realise... Again, because I've not really talked about it an awful lot because it's not really what you do. Life moves on and you just kind of grin and bear it. But you don't have to do that. And just hopefully the players coming out of the game, forget the finances. They are people who need help. And and hopefully with some of the terrible stories that we've heard, it will open the door for, for people to get more kind of help along the way. Well, strong work, Andrew. Thanks. You've done very well. Have I? Yes. Have I helped? 
Very much You've so. You certainly helped our understanding, and we hope others too. So at 32, you realised what your career path was going to be. Are you... Are no, you no, 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 no. Uh, there was no oh. realisation at that oh, point. Yes. It was just starting to sort of come together in yes. terms of... It was, an image was forming so in So the swirling mind. mists were, yeah, were taking we're, we're form, and where are we now? Where are we... Still... On match got of the, the day. The, fo- the fog lights are still You're on burning match of the brightly. Day. You're on match of the... Comment on match of the day. How much better is it going to get... At 32, Chinch, mm. I had just left the radio station and I was entering the world of freelance life. Yes. So it was a very important year for me as well. I also um, then, you know, kind of had fun. Did I strike you as immature when you first met me? Not my puerile humour. Did um, I strike you as someone who mentally is younger than, than their actual age? No. No. Um, but you have to remember that I'm 10 years younger than you. So mm. I... You, you being 32 and me being 22, 23, made me still look up to you as a mature person and a former footballer who play, played for England one more time than Graham Roberts. Yes. So I wouldn't have necessarily been able to make that judgment upon you. And also, I didn't know you before. Mm. I would now say that whilst you've retained your incredible personality, mm. that you are obviously a very different person now. Right. And also, say, modern players, because you've experienced me at that age Modern players, you knock around City quite a lot. You speak to all the the big stars there. Do they players in their mid twenties? How were, do they how do they seem to you? Are they more advanced? Would you, you say were always they? different? Yeah, than most footballers. Mm-hmm. So to suggest that there is somebody like that today would still no. Be, I don't mean like me, but no, are, are I mean, they more? That would be still to yeah. suggest that they would be going against the grain. Okay. You see some footballers who are, and it's sometimes not all the time. Sometimes based on the advice and the environment in which they. They live. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but also it's sometimes based on their levels of intelligence, whether they're able to to understand that okay. that that is going to be something that they have to deal with or deal with now. Yeah. So sometimes you will be able to see it based on their levels of intelligence, how worldly okay. wise they are. Mm-hmm. And we've had conversations about intelligence before on the podcast, and you can can generally split. I always thought uh, Steve will probably agree with me. Somebody like um, Darren Fletcher at Manchester United, excellent, yeah. In yeah. the chinch mould. Yeah. He started yes. doing his, his badges very early. He started to do a little bit more media now as his career I, I comes to I met him at Wimslow end. train station, actually. And, and, and I, I said the same. I very saw, intelligent. Yeah, he'd done very some interviews. And I said, you, you're brilliant, by the way. Yeah. And he was kind of really taken aback, but he was good. He was, he was good when he was a player, though. He, <laughs> was, he was driving <laughs> the train. <laughs> he was driving <laughs> the train. Uh, we leave you a reminder of how to get in touch with the podcast at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu. Please do subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve and today particularly to Andy. Uh, thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. And I was going to tell you my Clive Allen story. I'm going to save that for another day, man. Clive Allen. That was going to be your original soccer story. Yeah, just because we'll uh, you, you, you seem to like these little. Yeah. Remember I told the Vim Young story about him putting a little bit extra on his passes? And to me yeah. it was kind of, well, is that really a story? But you said, no, you like those little yeah. insights. That Vignettes. is the insights that, so that uh, again, most people don't provide so and most people don't receive. So maybe there's some mileage in, in looking at how players train and the little things that they did, funny and. and not so funny. Is that opening yeah, the kimono yeah. a bit there, Chinch? Don't, don't, don't explain why or how. Okay, just, okay. just let it happen. A story okay. about Clive can only be a nice Clive story. Clive is such a, such a lovely, lovely Could man. Could you tell us a story about Clive about how he became an NFL kicker? Well, it wasn't an NFL kip- kicker. It was a kicker for the London Monarchs, wasn't it? Is Didn't he try his hand? Clive Allen was the one that tried his hand at being I was a, surprised. Why was I never? Because one thing I could do was kick it positionally totally unaware but if you put a ball down and it didn't move I could give it a right good wallop. Well, this is a, this Why is didn't a, they... Why didn't they approach me? Because you had 75-year-old yeah. knees. Ah. And, you're, and you're a Southpaw. You know how those NFL 
play. They don't like... They, like. they just like doing things in the routine that they get used to. So you left-footed kickers no, are... No, 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 no you have left-footed kickers. Do you? One no. of the most famous left-footed kickers. Seabass, Sebastian Janikowski. Seabass? Yeah, that's what they call him. Did they oh, say no. kick his ass, Seabass, when he went to put it over the... <laughs> yeah, punt it no, over I mean, the thingies? He was just involved in a game. He's currently long-time Oakland Raider, now now the Seattle Seahawks, and he just had um, a kick from just over 50 yards, which obviously is yeah. just over halfway. Um, and <laughs> he went to give it absolutely... He's, he's always known as being a bit... Quite, quite an oversized gentleman. And he went to, to kick a 52 or 53 yard field goal, bearing in mind that he's in his late 30s now, a bit of a legend, but you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wide of girth. A chunky chock eyes, <laughs> yes. And he absolutely, completely ripped his hamstring to shreds as he did so. And oh. I just thought to myself, well, if that was Chinch in a post career career, I would imagine that happening to you. What, what's the record? For kicking, oh. have people done it from half. Have people yeah, kicked yeah, from yeah, halfway? Yeah. Fifty plus is fairly regular now, really? particularly at altitude or in a dome. <laughs> so he pulled um, his hamstring trying think, to bosh it. The record is sixty-five. What? Like that, 60, 65.